Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A roast as dark as the night. Perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of Spring Hill Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> Sports. It's in the game. Hey, everybody. It's your bruiser, John Madden, over here. All right. I, I'm a terrified of planes. All right. So I only take buses and trains. Isn't that g- 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 crazy? Also, every game that has been put out under my name has been the exact same for over a decade. Wow. Loot boxes. Uh, John Madden Wizard, you're making a great, uh, great points here. All in. Uh, I'm your Andrew Wilson video game CEO, uh, bruiser, Jake. And I just, you know, we have to actualize the community and create player-to-player moments and experiences that allow us to actualize the financial uh, manipulations of an experience of the totality of a new media framework through which... uh, just give me $5 and maybe you'll get Darth Vader, you little pay piggy, you little oinky piggy shit. Oh, you want Darth Vader? Give me five bucks, you little shit fucks. I'm a talking loot box <laughs> wizard and I'm here to say, come here, little kitties. What are you going to find in me? Just spend $5 and you'll see what you can find in me. It might be a fun hat. It might be a whole character. Hell, it could even be Baby Yoda. Doesn't everybody love Baby Yoda? That'll give you higher DPS in your game. Hold in, hold in. Just get baby. Yo- oh, you got a sparkly noise uh, when your gun blasts. Uh, Here's my impersonation of a uh, FIFA fan. Here's my impersonation of a FIFA fan. All right. Oi, I'm eight years old and I stole <laughs> me, me mama's credit card and I really want <laughs> right, Fernando Gilavane. Oh, damn it. I got Eduardo Gilavorno. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck, I didn't want that guy. I wanted some other very European man. Jake went down a YouTube hole that we had to (laughs) literally call in the National Guard to pull him out of. It was very difficult. He was almost lost. He was almost gone. He kind of looked like uh, that king in the second Lord of the Rings movie with the worm tongue guy. He was all shriveled up and wrinkled, just staring at YouTube. Hold on, can Um, I do one more character in this really long Whisbro intro? Ah. 
Yes, please. Hey, it's me, uh, head of design for BioWare. Uh, I've been working at the company for 15 years. Really love games, really love experiences. Uh, kill me, kill me now, please. End my suffering. Just put a bullet in my brain. I can't I can't do it myself. I'm too much of a coward. Please kill me. Take it from me, baby Yoda. <laughs> it's time to pay to play. Uh, that's right. We're talking about the evil, nefarious EA games. The internet loves to hate them, and uh, we are going to get to the bottom of why they are so hated. Uh, after all these years, they've they, this has been a gaming company that's been an evil force in my life since before they were even known as being evil. Uh, my brother. Not long after I got a Sega Genesis said, hey, Holden, you know the best game on the Sega Genesis? You have to get it. The next game you should buy, he like, he worm-tongued me. He did like the, the older brother mm -hmm. trick, mm -hmm. worm-tongue. He was like, oh, you're going to love this game. It's called Madden 92. I believe it was Madden 92. Is that the first one? Either way, uh, I think it was that one, 92 or 94. And uh, so I was like, okay, it doesn't seem like... Anything I'm into, I fucking hate football, but you're telling me this, I'll spend, I think he convinced me to spend my own fucking money on this game, or, or probably, <laughs> I think maybe he convinced me to spend my one, like, my parents are going to get me a game this quarter, <laughs> you know what I mean? This, like, three months, and uh, so that's the game I got, and it ended up being this, like, virus on my Sega Genesis, because the Sega Genesis lived in my room, it was my console, it was mine, my own. It's mine, all right? And my brother all of a sudden now was camping out in my room playing John Madden football, a game that I hated, a game that I would also torture him with because, hey, it wasn't that uh, refined back in the day. You could just literally hail Mary the ball to the other side of the field mm -hmm. and had about a 50-50 chance to get a touchdown every single time while my brother was trying to just play the game, mm -hmm. right? He was trying to play an honest footballman's game. Now, if right? I do a reverse dime in the pocket and then lateral to my yes. fullback, and meanwhile, you're just like, C-button makes football go wee. Yep. Hail Mary, that's the move. It works every time, all the time. And so I would Hail Mary every time. And after a while, it made him so mad that he would punch me in the arm every time I got a touchdown from a Hail Mary. And by the end, my arm, literally I was seeing like sparks mm -hmm. when he would punch me in the arm. It was very bad. It was very, very rough. You know what I mean? But kids will be kids, right? Still, I had just despised the 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 existence of this game company for for as long as I can remember. It was like, even the cartridge itself, Holden. I'm sure in your memory you remembered that uh, little yellow fucking little thing. Yellow. It was wrong. Yes. It shouldn't be there. It was not yes. like the others. It made me crazy, and all I wanted to do was play Bubsy and uh, <laughs> that awful X Men game. <laughs> Um and all and Batman Returns, man, I play I had some uh. clunkers in my Sega Genesis library. But regardless, since then, especially in recent years, now you know, once Reddit became established and memes became established, and uh we were communicating a lot better online, boy oh boy, did EA start to generate tons of hate because they were making all these crazy moves that were so obviously nefarious, right, Jake? Mm -hmm. And I remember my my second, this is so funny, it's like the ungush, right? This is how many times EA has been like a force of shittiness in my life, right? This is, I've enjoyed a ton of EA products, by the way. I mean, sure, I uh, what did I like? I like the hockey game. I don't even know what I like that they put out, but whatever, I've enjoyed EA products in the past. Uh, um, the second time, I think they invaded my, like I saw the logo and I saw red, was there was a brief period of time mm -hmm. I was playing mobile games, right? 
Angry Bird, you know, the era of Angry Birds. You could go buy a game for $5 on your phone and give you hours of endless entertainment while you're riding on the subway as this new revelation. And one of my favorite games, probably my favorite mobile game of all time would be Plants vs. Zombies. It's so fun. It's like a mm-hmm. RTS kind of thing. You know, they're slowly making their way to your build. You're building out all these like, you know, uh, legions to protect yourself. You're building defenders and lanes. And uh, yeah. one of the things that made it super addictive, and I remember at the time, is the way that individual zombies would get revealed alongside new individual plant kind of turrets. Yeah. And every level introduced like a subtle new mechanic and the difficulty curve was like really smooth. It's that perfect flow state. Perfect flow state. And it has an ending too. Like, you know, you beat the game. There's zombies on your lawn. <laughs> is that a real song? On your lawn. I don't yeah, even think that's the song that's a real song that plays when you win. It was it was great. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so any anywho, cut to hey, there's a new Plants vs Zombies game, Plants vs Zombies two. Check it out. And boy, oh boy, I re- literally remember sitting on the shitter at my office job cursing this fucking game because very quickly it made itself very clear that it was here to take all of your money in order to beat the game. It was a quote-unquote free game that completely brick-walled you very early on, and it was so annoying to me that I'm like, am I just this bad at this game? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. It was just because I beat the shit out of the first one. Like I I, I felt pretty competent at this fucking game, and no, no, no. They needed me to spend... God knows how much money in order to progress through this fucking game. I was so pissed. I was just like, and that was the moment that A, I think I kind of stopped playing mobile games, to be quite honest with you. And B, I definitely knew deep in my heart, I would way rather spend money up front for a full experience that's not trying to gouge me than get a quote-unquote free-to-play game and then just immediately get fucking walled out of any more content because they need me to spend way more money than they would have asked from me for just the price of, of a standard retail mobile game, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and, and then after that, all oh, the loot box fiasco, you know, just listening to Giant Bomb uh, specifically, that's my video game podcast I listen to, uh, um, uh, especially back then, and you know, just hearing about Mass Effect Andromeda, dude, mm-hmm. Sim City, we're gonna talk about like a motherfucker today. That was unbelievably botched. Like there were so many, and then Battlefront Two, man, when that game came out, and it was as flimsy as it was, and they made you pay for Darth Vader, and they made you fucking, uh, you know, and they they gated your experience points on a daily basis just to like keep you on this like hamster wheel grind. So fucking crazy and and then what's hilarious to me is then EA turned around I was like why do people hate us so much it was just like so funny we've talked about them before I think we talked about them with um, Fable right was it per Peter Molyneux oh, we've talked about them with Fable we've talked about them with Dead Space we've talked about them a bunch yes, of times Dead Space they fucking fucked it up because they were like back when they made Dead Space they were like people don't want single player experiences anymore didn't you guys hear that they only want multiplayer experiences where we can sell loot boxes and sell like ridiculous, like uh, uh, just bullshitty, mm-hmm. you know, hats and whatever uh, cosmetics to the masses ad nauseum. And people were like, nope, we still fucking love single player experiences to the point that I actually, the most recent EA game I actually really liked was a single player experience with 
Jedi, uh, 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 Fallen Order, Star Wars Fallen Order. So, anyways, that is, that's my rant, Jake, about how my relationship. It's definitely been nefarious, and I've definitely, you know, we did the Activision episode, but EA, I think, mo- more notoriously hated, so I'm excited to do this episode today. Um, I guess the thesis statement, I think, for the EA uh, journey, that after getting immersed in all these articles and videos and all this stuff, is that EA Games represented the glory and uh i guess potential of what the hell a triple a video game could be yeah experiences beyond anything the entire generation that grew up with the nintendo could imagine uh you know the the uh the ps2 xbox gamecube era ea games and subsequent pc games was a culmination of decades of work where it really was about the electronic arts yes and so many people got introduced to games through this era. People picked up uh, Madden for the first time and saw, you know, you have to understand, like, PS2 era Madden was so mind-bendingly realistic. Yeah. Now it looks like gummy mannequins go ahoy. But, like, ahoy! clearly this could not get better. Need for Speed, this is as good as driving games could possibly be. Right. Like, the ent- uh, the entire... Just the idea that like, wow, you know, that and GTA and all these other things, we are in this big kind of thing where for $60, you got this plastic disc in your hand and you could play it for years and you could play it with friends. And, you know, there was all this competition and everyone was trying to outdo each other. And then around the 2010s, EA just like changed the terms of the deal in a huge way and like, the of course the 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 devil's bargain is like all right we're going to start charging you more for this stuff but we'll still make the best games and uh if things like anthem and the latest fifa and uh the mass effect andromeda and all these uh the sims 4 uh sim city all these giant flops means that like they're not holding up their end of the bargain right. so they're charging you more for a worse experience and it's just like, and the whole time they have to keep shareholders happy. So every word out of their mouth is, you know, like, you know, oh, it's great that we're engaging uh, with experiences in a new era of uh, media. Our gamers are our first priority. And you're like, ooh, ooh it's yeah. shitty. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. In addition to that, you know, you see uh, games that would should be amazing from studios that you trust getting watered down and tinkered with and broken by all these on high mandates that just like you just so the worst experience is now like tainted by the potential that these experiences could have had yeah because they're buying up all these amazing smaller game dev companies that had you know were putting out incredible stuff at their own pace Mm -hmm. as they should have put them out you know that they really quality that they really cared about and then they get hoovered up by ea who immediately is like all right now make twice as many in half as much time, please, because our corporate understanding of how this works, that's going to really bring in the big bucks. And then they turned to shit. Mm -hmm. That happened with Ultima. That happened uh, the Ultima franchise, among many other things. And the the kick in the pants, I think, which is, it's, it's now the state of modern existence is really like knowing the evil shit, knowing in your heart that if they just did things ethically... Uh, and like with actual consideration to the art form, it would be better for everyone. Um, 
the stock from when the evil kind of train started, like literally the downfall. People kind of point to 2009 as like the last good Madden game, the last good FIFA game. Uh, around that time, a bunch of other next-gen consoles kind of came out, came around that were like really opening people's eyes to what games were capable of. Uh, in 2009, their stock price was $17. We are now, uh, you know, over, uh, you know, 12 years later. Wait, no, I can't do math. Wait, whatever. Many years later, <laughs> the stock price is now $140, almost 10 wow. times as much. Folks, yeah, they have no reason to treat us better. pays off. Yeah, we, we, we just ask for it. We beg for it. Well, I mean, a lot of the problem, too, is, you know, mo- a lot of people out there who aren't really gamers um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they just have a FIFA machine. That's all they have it for. They literally just have it for. And when you sign exclusivity deals and keep other game makers from being able to use likenesses and names and stats and all that kind of stuff, um, and, and then you don't have to make a better game. Right. And and you don't have to make a different game. You literally just can keep pumping out. That's the other funny thing is, you know, Back when you were talking about, like, back around the PS2 era and before, I mean, every year you really could put out, like, a game that was, like, marginally better. Mm -hmm. Looking, feeling, everything. For, like, a day. I mean, that's when video games were probably the most exciting they may ever be just because literally, like, every year was, like, a giant step up graphically, game feel-wise, like, just everything. But then it has since plateaued and it's just become this damning thing where it's like Madden 22 is going to be the same thing as Madden 21 just with like a different roster in other words easily downloadable Mm -hmm. updates you know what I mean but they won't just put out fucking Madden world (laughs) you know what I mean and just Madden ultimate or whatever you know what I mean Madden forever so so instead just these people just buy the fucking thing every year they spend $60 on the same product it's it's unbelievable but why would EA have any reason to say you know we should be treating these people with a little more respect mm. when they don't have to yeah and the numbers show that they don't have to but uh you know I think what's annoying is like Whatever with those people, because again, it's $60 a year. They don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. It's just the one game they get all year. You know what I mean? They get Madden, they get FIFA, whatever, right? Maybe NBA. Uh, that's it. So what? it's $60 a year. Who gives a shit? But then the back end of it is like all these other smaller companies that made it great ex- gaming experiences. The game tr- gamer gamers truly love, not to gatekeeping a gamer. If you just play Madden, I'm sure you're still a gamer, but you know what I mean? And then they just gobble them up and spit them out and fuck over all these franchises and stuff. And I think that that's why, you know, they have such the reputation that they have. It's it's definitely the kind of thing where, like, um, they follow the money in the most clumsy way possible. Because it's, you know, there are these massive uh, kind of, uh, ca- I don't know, coups that happen in the gaming industry where a small company kind of discovers uh, the 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 piggy bank and you know, something like player unknowns battlegrounds, yeah. or, you know, out of the blue discovers a new style of gameplay, a new uh, way of monetizing uh, something like candy crush where all they're selling is just extra lives in these like little puzzles, slidey things. And that's a billion dollar industry. Yeah. So, but that doesn't actually result in electronic arts innovating. It just means like, 
oh, okay, people are willing to pay for lives. Uh, yeah, pay for lives in this next uh, third person adventure game. And people are like, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. You just made this thing all. worse. You didn't make a new, better thing. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, it is really funny. The greed has no end. And I love how it weirdly started with semi-honest intentions, hence the name Electronic Arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and le- and so let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, Electronic Arts, Inc. is a uh, American video game company that resides in Redwood City, California. It is currently the second largest gaming company in the Americas and Europe, just behind Activision Blizzard, who we, of course, did an episode on a while back. This will have similar threads in it. From that episode, it was founded back in 1982 by a guy named Trip Hawkins, which is hilarious because, again, just another villain name from a Adam Sandler film. (laughs) Of course, Trip Hawkins is the guy's name. It started as a home computer game publisher. It soon got into the acquisitions business to publish games made by internal game studios it acquired over the years and is known to be evil. All right, so let's talk about Trip Hawkins. Okay, interesting guy. Interesting guy, this yeah, Trip Hawkins. Interesting, very interesting guy. Uh, he got into, I love how he like literally started making the, a pen and paper ma- sort of Madden game mm-hmm. is how he got going. He got into the games business as a teenager. He wanted to create a knockoff version of the Stratomatic pen and paper football game he loved as a kid. This is a strat-based sports simulation game, not unlike what you get with Madden Football. Each player has these cards that have statistical information based on real stats from the NFL that year, and they run different plays on each other, which are resolved by dice rolls. So kind of the pen and paper version of John Madden Football. This was a bit much bigger deal in the pre-computer days, but, uh, you know, these... Pen and paper sports simulators were uh, kind of as involved as like the most Dungeons and Dragons tabletop session ever could be. But he talks about how, uh, you know, playing these games, it was the only time that he felt like his brain was on fire. That like strategizing, uh, working against the odds, taking in information and playing the angles and doing all this stuff and keeping all that information steady in his head was just something that he thrived in, which kind of makes sense with his uh, future as both a uh, computer guy and a business guy. Um, he talks about how one of his favorite games was a uh, baseball simulator that he used to play where every at-bat was determined by a cardboard disc. So someone like Babe Ruth would have half the disc be a home run and half the disc be a strikeout because Babe Ruth was like that. And you would put a little spinner on it and wherever it landed, that would determine how the at-bat went. And uh, he noticed that like he would try and share that passion with his like uh, friends and the gamer, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons guys were like, I don't want to play sports. This is lame. Right. And his sport friends would be like, guys. this is math. This is lame. Yes. <laughs> he was like. Uh, are you going to talk about where he when he meets his first computer? Yes, but before that, he actually does try to put it out, and it fails, and I think that's exactly why what you just described, Jake. He borrows $5,000 from his father. He gives it the old pre-college try. I mean, this is a teenager borrowing five grand to put out a fucking game to the world. Uh, it was called AccuStat Pro Football. Oh, with a name like that, who doesn't want to play? I know, right? 
And he even advertise, put out advertisements in like the pamphlets they hand out at, at football games, stuff like that. The, this ends up being a failure. And I think that's exactly why it was too nerdy for the jocks and it was too jockey for the nerds. So that is uh, what leads him to a revelation when he gets this computer, uh, the first his first home computer. And he realizes, oh, this will just run those calculations for you so you can actually, you know, I can get my dumb fucking idiot jock friend whose name is just like Chot, you know what I mean? And Chot's just like squeezing oranges in his hands, breaking mm-hmm. them, whatever, just to drink the juice. He doesn't realize it's the fucking you can just get orange juice out of a carton. Chot. It's not the you same. You mean? didn't earn it. <laughs> it's it's like speed running, you know? It's not about doing it right. It's about doing it fast. Um, <laughs> so he get Chot to play the football, dumb football game. I mean, he has to teach him what a computer is. But. Supposedly, around the same time he was selling Accustat, uh, he went to a friend's house, uh, a guy named Lane Hulk, who would uh, supposedly invent the game Snake, but that was not till later. <laughs> Uh, and he was using a homemade computer kit called the PDP-8, and it operated through a terminal where the code was executed and displayed via a printer. Like this was, it was that crude in 1970 that you, it was just instructing a printer on inputs and outputs. Like there was no graphics, there was not even a video signal. And even then, he says he saw the appeal of how offloading the data management of of his own very involved games would make something that was as thrilling as a tabletop simulator, but as easy and enthralling as watching television. Mm -hmm. He was also uh, a he played football as a kid. He played football. He had dreams of being a coach um, and like it's it's clear that this early experience with computers Gave him the bug that, like, it's not ready yet. It's like this whole deal is not ready to go, but I want to be there the very second it can be what I want it to be. Hawkins said, in the summer of 1975, I learned about the invention of the microprocessor and about the first retail store where a consumer could rent a time-sharing terminal to use from home. That very day, I committed to found EA in 1982. I figured that it would take seven years for enough computing hardware to get into homes to create an audience for the computer games that I wanted to make. He even created a simulation written in BASIC that predicted the 1974 Super Bowl having the Dolphins beat Minnesota 23 to 6 the real game they beat him they beat them 24 to 7 so I don't really understand why he didn't get into some crazy like just <laughs> gambling betting, bus- yeah. yeah just sports betting at that point I feel like I was in back to the future part two a movie that I love and everybody I everyone loves. to know that now, what I love the most about that movie <laughs> is how the first half and the second half definitely don't. fit together and flow seamlessly don't. they'll come back at us Jake I love that movie it's perfect Hawkins takes this idea to Harvard, where he designed his own major, strategy and applied game theory. This was in the mid-70s. He then moved to the West Coast to get his MBA at Stanford, which also put him close to Silicon Valley. Hawkins said, when I finished my education in 1978, I got a job at Apple. Oh, when I started that little there, company. That little company in 1978, mind you. When I started there, there we had only 50 employees and then had sold only 1,000 computers in the history of the company. They weren't even computers yet. These were home kits he was still selling. Most of them in the prior year. Four years later, we were a Fortune 500 company with 4,000 employees and nearing the $1 billion and nearing $1 billion in annual revenue. So... He, I wouldn't say, I guess I'd say Silver Spoon. I mean, he's definitely able to borrow $5,000 from his from his father. 
goes to Harvard, ends up at Apple at the exact perfect time to raise up all the revenue he needs, all the all the capital rather he needs in order to start his own company. Of, you know, it's obviously this is not the purview of this podcast to deconstruct the nature of capitalism and privilege, but of the rich weirdos he surrounded himself with, he, instead of uh, going to Wall Street or instead of go, uh, becoming a lawyer, he was like, I don't know. I think these beat boot machines might be good for something. Uh, for and sure. That paid off. That instinct paid and, off. And then, and then so lucky, Apple, of all the beat boop companies he could be a part of, that was the exact well, perfect one. It's it's interesting because uh, he really uh, is proud of his time at Apple in his interviews. Um, he says that, you know, his main kind of push was to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, the $30,000 uh, corporate database machine and try and like pitch the Apple II as a home accounting uh, assistant for small businesses that, you know, it'll pay for itself. Anybody can use it. And it's the way of the future. Uh, he also claims that even though he left before the Macintosh was released, he was very, uh, very adamant about introducing a more intuitive GUI, uh, something called the WYSIWYG, and uh, even the introduction of the mouse as a uh, input for the Macintosh. Mm. He claims that was like some of his victories that they pulled off after he left. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. So cut to early 1982, Hawkins sets up a meeting with a guy named Don Valentine of Sequoia Capital about his idea for a game dev company called Amazing Software. And Valentine allows him to use his offices to just get things going. Hawkins said, I incorporated EA on May 28, 1982. I personally funded it for the next six months uh, and then eventually got a little bit of help from Sequoia. Uh, Sequoia, for the record, uh, Don Valentine also... Uh, his, their previous investments are Apple, Google, Oracle, YouTube, Instagram, wow. Zoom, WhatsApp, LinkedIn, and PayPal. Whoa, Literally like golden hands. Damn. Guy. So uh, wait a second. He said EA, not amazing software. What gives? Hawkins said the original name had been amazing software, but I wanted to recognize software as an art form. Mm. Fascinating, right? I love that, that phrase right here. I wanted to change it to soft art. But Dan Bricklin of Software Arts asked us not to use that name. So in October of 1982, I called a meeting of our first 12 employees and our outside marketing agency, and we brainstormed and decided to change it to Electronic Arts. It was also a tribute to the film company United Artists, as Hawkins had recently read and been inspired by a book about them and how they got as big as they got. So the initial intent seemed pretty good at first. 
Hawkins said, I wanted to help the world transition from brain deadening media like broadcast television to interactive media that would connect people and help them grow. And he also wanted to give, and then again, this is such a why I said it seemed like it started with good intentions and so wild how different the mindset is now about the company. He wanted to give credit and compensation where it was due to the talent behind the games and even refer to them as software artists. Like sandwich artists. Some of their early magazine ads had uh, the developers of their individual games, like all in black and white, kind of like slumped together, like they were the you know a Rolling Stones pictorial. He he wanted to make them like like rock stars. He 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 did. He purposely made those game covers look like album covers. It's and wanted hilarious. to really showcase. If you mm-hmm. look up Electronic Arts 1982 box art uh, titles like. Pinball construction set, uh, Archon, uh, Mule, dot, M-U-L-E, uh, and Hard Hat Mac yeah. all look like like born from the set. They could be Queen album covers. They could be yeah, like- Yeah, totally. Uh, they could be prog rock, super rock operas. Um, but then you actually like play or look at video of a Hard Hat Mac for the Apple II, and it is the same like- Bleep boop, bleep borp, like yeah. chunky graphics as anything else of the era. It's actually a little hilarious. But these games are a hit. These games uh, do well in the market for sure. We're talking Apple II, Commodore 64. This is solidly the 8-bit era. And there's an early game that is a front runner as well called Dr. J and Larry Bird Go One-on-One, which was released in 1983. Hawkins said, EA Sports really originated with One-on-One, which I designed, and where I introduced the business practice of involving celebrities in the design and promotion of video games, which was very smart because that did pop out really, really immediately. I kind of remember these early Larry Bird games, and I really enjoy them. I like the basketball games always a little bit more than the uh, football games when I was a kid. Well, there's like less people on screen, which we'll get into more in a More action. Yeah. You don't need to know as much about the sport mm-hmm. like you do with football. Like football, you have to know so much fucking shit about plays and shit. <laughs> It's so crazy. I mean, apparently so, you just need to do a Hail Mary, but I don't know. Yeah, that's... I mean, well, in the early days, yeah, I wish it was still like that. In 1985, they become very closely associated with the Amiga home computer and released a lot of software for it. This was due to the video game console crash led by Atari, so they weather the storm of the crash. Hagen said, I made a conscious decision to ignore Atari and to focus on the next generation of technology. We had to operate like the Fremen of Dune. Yeah, nice I was hoping you'd Hawkins. get to this quote. Recycling our own saliva to live in the desert to survive we had a to rebuild the industry brick by brick over a period of years uh they also got the fear in them about product outlook shifted their business strategy away from hyping up specific game designers and this is the turning point when the when that atari that atari crash had a profound effect on ea now instead they want to focus on game genres like sports and creating brand recognition and that's why they start putting out jordan versus bird one-on-one ferrari formula one one, Richard Petty's Talladega and Earl Weaver football. They're associating brands. Hell yeah, and famous game with the sport. Earl Weaver. It's in the game. <laughs> Baseball. Um, yeah. So so for a while they're playing it safe on the uh, Amiga. Uh, they're putting out branded stuff licensed stuff and they finally get drawn back into the console market around the late 80s they also in the late 80s put out their first internally developed game skater die which is weird because it was published by konami which i find fascinating yeah very bizarre why would they do that yeah i saw that too i was like that's can't be right 
but I guess it is. This was actually put out, uh, Skate or Die was on the Nintendo Entertainment System, and this is what starts EA getting back towards consoles, what they would eventually be known for. After the success of One on One, Hawkins decides to make another go at that football game from way back in the day. But this time, he needed the help of a big name, and that big name would be the name of a big old man, and that big old man would ruin my life when I had a Sega Genesis, and his name would live in infamy by me, and that man is John Madden. Hawkins said, I picked John because I wanted a design partner that could help us make the game authentic, but also have selling power from his name on the cover. After signing him, I flew to Denver with my programmer and producer and went over my game design. We spent two whole days on the train with him going over an incredibly long list of details uh, about football, and it helped me finish the design properly. We'd get together periodically after that initial session to review our progress, and John would yell and scream about details we had wrong. And it was a lot of fun. That's a weird... <laughs> that, that, that line is so weird to me. He would just scream at us and yell at us, and we had a great time. <laughs> uh, it's funny that you mentioned the train, because John Madden famously had a fear of flying. Um it's also uh, supposed because when he was uh, a college assistant coach, half of his team died in a plane accident. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's why he's afraid of planes. I'm sorry, I made a joke about it earlier. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, and he and he did take Amtrak before the famous Madden Cruiser that he would go around in that tour bus. Um, but Madden had his name out there a ton. He was a spokesman for AM- AMC Hardware. He was a spokesperson. Uh, Ace Hardware, I think. Never mind. Not AMC, the movie. Come on. <laughs> uh, he was a spokesman for Coors Beer. Uh, he was a spokesman for all sorts of things. So, like, he was a really recognizable face. And uh, because he was a f- famously a coach for the Raiders, he was kind of based out of the same California area that Trip was familiar with. So it all just kind of fit together. Uh, supposedly, one of uh, John Mannon's earliest complaints during the development process was that there weren't 11 players on each opposing team on screen at the same time. <laughs> and they had to delay their plans until uh, they could figure out a way to render all of that or just wait till the next generation of systems got that done. Um, also around this time in the 90s, uh, Electronic Arts was in a kind of a weird spot. They had enjoyed uh, kind of the fruits of their larger than average distribution networks by cutting sweetheart deals and kind of cutting out middlemen with retailers, Uh, warehousing costs, shipping costs. They were kind of in control of a lot of things and that let them keep a bigger cut of their sales. But companies like Nintendo and the Sega Genesis and Sega were desperate to keep a clamp down on their product uh, kind of as a way to avoid the fate of the Atari. Um, But it was at this point that Trip uh, commissioned his engineering team to reverse engineer yep. the Sega Genesis's uh, content lockout. This is kind of the first evil thing, would you not agree? That the, the evil corporate move mm-hmm. that you find, you know, from EA in their history. This kind of is that that initial, you know, inciting incident. It seems yes, they they reverse engineer the Sega Genesis, and then they go to Sega. They're like, hey, bro, we can just put out fucking games on your console, bro, and you ain't got nothing. You can't do nothing about it. So you can either give us a better deal. We're going to fuck you, dude. We're going to bend you over. We're going to take out our big fatty A dick, and we're going to just put it in there. You know where? 
Your butthole, bro. This is John Madden letting you know that, yes, indeed, your butthole is forfeit. <laughs> the lane is open and the wide open, that butthole. All right, fine. You win this time, EA. But we're the Sega boys and we're going to get you, all right? And we're going to get you a song. We're going to take you out of the gaming market today. And they burst into song. It was a whole weird situation. Ten years later, Sega had left the hardware market. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving. <laughs> We're getting out. The Dreamcast was a piece of shit. Fuck. We didn't even, couldn't even rhyme it with anything. Whatever. See you later, everybody. <laughs> Sonic rules. You guys drool. So EA got to make their own cartridges. And as part of their, again, continued dedication to branding and everything, um, that's why those cartridges had the yellow tab of doom that yep. has scarred itself into your memory. Um also, the uh, reason why they went for the Genesis is because it shared the uh, 6800 processor that was used in the Amiga and the Macintosh and the Atari ST. So, like, uh, it would have been much harder for them to attack Nintendo from that same vantage point. They already had intimate knowledge of the hardware behind the Genesis. Mm -hmm. And the system was more capable. So it just made a natural kind of thing for them to attack the console market. Um, and they actually had to like sit down with their employees and kind of admit that electronic arts was kind of uh, not going the way of, uh, of how things were going to go down. They literally had to sit them down and be like, we sold out. Hawkins said the goal was to stop making esoteric products for an elite customer base and go make it in the big time with mainstream gamers. So, yeah, this is when things turn. I mean, back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. And so they end up going public in 89. They use that capital to make a big push in the console market aggressively with three new games being put into production every month. And these are things that uh, become big franchises, a lot of them, and big, big money, uh, ca big, big cash-ins for the company. Road Rash rules. A great I game. fucking love Road Rash. Amazing game. Lakers, great game. Lakers versus Celtics, which I super remember. Uh, Sword of Sodan, which, man, it looks like a terrible Golden Axe 2 knockoff. I'm, I don't believe I ever had the misfortune of playing it, but I did look up some gameplay, and it looks like a bag of sucks. Uh, over the next six years, franchises would get launched like NHL Hockey mm -hmm. was awesome early on. Uh, NBA Live, FIFA Soccer. I mean, these, these things are just huge cash cows still today for the company. Uh, and EA also got to capitalize on the success of not just the Genesis, but also the Super Nintendo as they cut a deal for that console as well, brought over all those sports titles, among other things. Also in 1991, they purchased their first outside development studio, and that's where that starts. And the first one would be Distinctive Software, who had created a game called Test Drive for EA's competitor publisher, Accolade. And with EA, they created the Need for Speed franchise. Distinctive was later renamed to EA Canada. And that is going to be the initial, like, oh, shit, we are now big enough. We are now controlling the market enough. We are now on both the major consoles, we can make some big fucking moves, and they, man, 
They really do. In 1992, they bought Origin Systems, creators of the Ultima and Wing Commander series. And in 1995, they acquired Peter Molyneux's UK studio Bullfrog, which would, under EA, put out Dungeon Keeper. Uh, Westwood Studios, the group responsible for the incredibly influential RTS Dune 2, and then the Command and Conquer series was brought uh, was bought up by EA in 1998, and SimCity developer Will Wright's company Maxis was acquired as well during this time, who later becomes responsible for one of EA's best-selling computer games. We'll talk about The Sims a little later. But uh, yeah, uh, former games head Frank Jabos had this to say. You are looking at a business that, even today, has tremendous constraints in terms of the talent pool, the number of guys that can really make great games and are visionary about it. There's not enough of them. When you're working with a company, it's great to be able to lock up the IP, but it's also great to be able to bring new talent to your organization so that you're constantly growing and staying cutting edge. But the criticism, of course, is that they're just locking up the IPs mismanaging the talent and then everything just sucks for the game but for a hot second ea sports is an exciting and dynamic brand that has captured the heart of the american populace uh ironically enough the ea sports branding was uh at first a branding called easn the e electronic arts sports network and all of their opening title screens would kind of have this like tv uh intro outro kind of vibe to it they were terrified, though, because ESPN, uh, which they were clearly inspired from and their logo looked very similar, was going to knock down their door any day and tell them to quit. That day finally arrived and uh, Trip Hawkins talks about kind of walking in, you know, being like, ah, shit, ah, shit, ah, shit. And instead of telling them to stop completely, ESPN offers to give them free commercial airtime during sports games in exchange for them to stop. <laughs> so once again... They benefit from that because all these jocks that had not considered, you know, buying a Genesis or getting into video games are now getting sold for free during their most popular hours. Yeah, like my jock fucking brother. And you know what? Someday I'll beat you. All right. I, I start playing soccer. He starts playing soccer. I hit the bench. He's all of a sudden the star goalie for the varsity team. Avery, I'll live in your shadow till I die. So in 1993, with the new branding, uh, EA Sports uh, is is uh, to the game. EA, okay, I'm getting to it. EA uh, <laughs> asks an advertising agency to make a commercial for their new uh, Madden game. Uh, one of the people at the advertising company asks a friend of his who he thinks has a cool voice named Andrew Anthony to record some test lines. And Andrew Anthony, just willing to do his buddy a favor, literally does it for free. And it turns out it's his copy that they use in this achingly 90s commercial. Uh, April, if you can, <laughs> I'll send you the link. It's the uh, John Madden 93 EA Sports TV commercial. And in the in the commercial, which is full of uh, uh, real sarcastic 90s guy voice, I'm talking the bips, the boops, and the bops. We're not talking about your grandma's tea party or, you know, all that shit. We'll take the flip, the kick, the headbutt, and the taunt. Brr, throw in that and that. Looks good. Give me the field, too. Grab the stadiums. Grab that. Grab that. Do you have anything in a clothesline tackle? Good. Give me that. Give me the wave. No, no. Yes, we'll take that. That. The dive. Party time. Let's do that and that. Not that. That and that. Give me that again. Timeout. If it's in the game, it's in the game. John Madden Football 93 for Super NES and Sega Genesis. Where'd that truck come from? EA Sports in the game the the selling point is the john madden 93 is so complete and so realistic 
that if it's in the game, it's in the game. And that is why the tagline and the audio from it is becomes EA Sports. It's in the game. Hell yeah. It took me so long to realize that it's in the game makes sense only with that first part. <laughs> like, it's a nonsense phrase. It's just burned into my child yeah. memory. But the it's in the game is what they're referring to is all the stuff that is in the sport is in the game. Is in the game. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that either. Apparently, uh, An- Andrew Anthony is a very nice guy. And if you show up and ask for a selfie, he'll say the line. <laughs> nice. So Ted Hawkins says, I knew the Genesis would give EA a great ride as at least until 1994, but was afraid for what would happen after that. He was quite the visionary, honestly, but this is where he kind of trips up. He knows the future. <laughs> there you go. That's fun. I love Hawkins that. knew the future would be 3D graphics and a move away from cartridges towards discs. Therefore, he steps down from EA and goes on to found the 3DO company in order to develop the most powerful game console of the day. Hoggins was kind of right. They were going to move towards 3D, but the problem was his console cost $700, which is like over $1,000 in today's money. It's like $1,200 or something Also, like the 3DO specifically, he didn't make any of them. He like kind of just was in charge of the spec. He like laid out ah. what the... He kind of was like, no, you'll license the design from us, but anybody can make a 3DO, that way minimizing our risk, and everyone's going to love it, and nobody loved it. But instead, well, especially because Sony's PlayStation would get released, uh, would make its way to the States in 1995, and it was a far cheaper and more powerful uh, console with a much stronger library out of the gate. And so uh, when Hawkins stepped down to go off to make the 3DO and unfortunately fail uh, at that, uh, I'm sure he's doing fine, though. I think he remained a shareholder, this, that, and the other. He was replaced by a man named Larry Propst. Uh, And this is when EA sees just this unbelievable growth. Through the era of the PlayStation and the N64, they uh, have their sports games as well as their licensed properties like the James Bond games and the Medal of Honor series. And again, by the way, GoldenEye was fucking amazing on the N64. Mm. EA buys the James Bond license, does not make a a suitable follow-up. They also have the Medal of Honor series. That's done through DreamWorks Interactive, so Steven Spielberg is now releasing games through EA. They they get into the MMO space with Ultima, Ultima Online in 1997, more on Ultima later, but that is that is a huge success for the company. Things are actually, uh, there's actually a dark point in this era because uh, EA does not have exclusive rights to football uh, games at this point. Yes. And so stuff like NBA, uh, stuff like NFL Blitz and PlayStation, Sony's own NFL Game Day actually outsell Madden for the first year or two to the point where they kind of uh, retreat and there is no Madden 96 because they had to go back and fully uh, redo the game engine because they had kind of like rested on their laurels a little bit much, which is kind of what a lot of people complain about. And what makes EA so frustrating now is that there isn't that competition to keep them hungry. Yeah. And those games were awesome, by the way. Also, they were just different types of games. You know, NFL Blitz was not Mm. this uh, like, you know, a football simulator like Madden is. You know what I mean? And it just gatekept them once they got the exclusivity from all these other fun-ass fucking games coming out, which really is a bummer, man. I mean, that that is definitely 
again, strike two, I would say, around or strike three is, is them getting that exclusivity from the NFL and the other, uh, other places. Because I remember that market. There were some really fun fucking sports games uh, that weren't EA games uh, for a while there during this time. So when the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and GameCube came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, EA decided to spread out their franchises across all consoles except for the Dreamcast which they felt wasn't up to snuff against the other consoles. And this probably did help tank the Dreamcast outside of the easily pirated games and all that kind of stuff that also tanked it. Definitely had an effect on it not being as successful as the other consoles. Jabot said... Our basic competitive advantage is that we can publish games across multiple platforms simultaneously in a cost-effective way and in multiple languages and deploy it globally better and bigger than anybody else. So it's already starting to sound like bullyish corporate strategy is really uh, pervading here. But they hadn't yet nailed down that one market they badly desired because they're trying to take them all and they're trying to get them all. The greed, the hunger, and they don't have Teenage girls. Well, that was more of an accident, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All that's going to change with The Sims. Jabot said, we put it it out into publishing, and all of a sudden, we started to see the registration data, and in the research, that we had a tremendous number of teenage girls playing. That's when we started to change how we built the packs, the the DLC they would put out. That's when we went to Hot Date as a concept for an expansion pack. That's when we started to buy advertising in fashion magazines and television advertising on MTV and female-oriented TV shows. Uh, And they started eyeing digital downloads pretty early. It's around this time in the mid-2000s. Yabo said, We have found that digital distribution is largely incremental and rewards your power users who can buy a lot of games. It also opens up avenues. Here's the most important part of the quote. It also opens up avenues for paid downloadable content and other places where we can distribute content that wouldn't necessarily be a retail good. Over time, that will increase in significance, most certainly. And that, of course, I do definitely think is speaking towards the loot boxes and all that bullshit because you can't like sell... You could, I guess, sell loot boxes in a, you know... Uh, uh, fucking GameStop, but you know, not not likely, right? Uh, this is their way to to add more sales in game and uh, skirt around like it being really flimsy and it being kind of like a uh, just I don't know a, a fucking kind of uh, um exploitable uh use of downloadable content. So this is, uh, I'm, I might blast through something in your notes. So like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll backtrack, but sure. Uh, this is, by the way, the Sims is definitely going to be its own episode. We will absolutely yeah, do a Sims. full Sims episode. There's a lot of games we're going to mention here that could easily be their own episode for sure. But around 2004 to 2007, a guy named John Riccatello enters the fray first as COO and then as CEO. Uh, He kind of oversees the acquisition of BioWare and Pandemic. Uh, Pandemic, BioWare, dear God, we've talked to death about. Uh, Mass Effect, Dragon Age. Um, Pandemic did the Star Wars Battlefront series. But there's a... um, Off on kind of this own side thing, while FIFA is kind of uh, doing doing its own thing, EA is actually releasing tons of other soccer games and doing experimentation uh, in kind of the lesser leagues. Uh, they release in Europe, release in Oceania, release all over the place. One of those games is UEFA Champions League 2006-2007, which contains a brand new game mode called Ultimate Team. And Ultimate Team uh, allows 
it kind of incorporates the fun of a collectible card game with the uh, build your own franchise mode popular in a lot of those sports. Uh, and all it is is as you play, you earn credits. Those credits can be exchanged for card packs. Those card packs have differing values uh, worth with different better chances of getting better players. And as you unlock those card packs and build your team, you get, uh, you know, it helps your odds playing against other players' ultimate teams. At this point, it is not, it's just a feature. There is no outside networking. There's no, uh, there's no microtransactions. But it's important to note that this, this mechanic, this card pack mechanic, predates Overwatch's loot boxes. It predates the hats in Team Fortress. EA has the keys to the loot box kingdom way before anyone actually understands what they're sitting on. And uh, around 2009 or in 2010, uh, they're looking for things to add to the next FIFA game. And some of the people who worked on UEFA brings it to the attention of the director of EA Sports, who was responsible for the game, a man named Andrew Wilson, who had been brought onto the company years ago as kind of a consultant for uh, some of the more obtuse games that they were releasing, stuff like rugby and Australian rules football and surfing. He was just kind of this Australian jock guy. Um, he is a, a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Real cool guy. They all are. Yeah, they all are, those guys. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. And it is Andrew Wilson who decides to bring in the card packs into FIFA. Uh, and Andrew Wilson later becomes CEO of uh, EA. And uh, Riccatello's, uh, Riccatello's entire, uh, I guess, journey at EA is rife with fuck-ups and uh, stock uh, devaluations and all these things going wrong. Uh, Spore, uh, which kind of put the nail in Maxis's coffin, was this giant expensive endeavor that kind of fell apart. Uh Mass Effect kind of falls apart. All these things kind of go wrong under uh, Riccatello's guidance. Uh, several of the studios get shut down. Westwood, that kind of did uh, Command and Conquer, sunk a bunch of money in their kind of uh, MMO thing. Because, you know, Blizzard made Warcraft and then they made World of Warcraft. So the Westwood guys should make their own MMO 
and that'll make just as much money as no, it didn't. It was a big expensive flop. Well, it was also you know they put they rushed them. They once they bought them, they were like the next two Ultima games, the non MMO Ultima games. Those need to be. We need two more, mm-hmm. and we need in the time that you normally do one. So both of those end up sucking. Then they put out Ultima Online. It actually is a success to a certain degree, but because the other two games sucked in sales, they closed down Westwood. And this is the kind of bullshit we're going to see around this time, left and right. Just a weird, like, a lot of weird moves, um, a lot of just, like, you know, one strike and you're out kind of bullshit. We also have to acknowledge, first of all, Riccatello does acknowledge in, in 2007, he reorganizes EA into four labels, and he actually does say, our years of consolidation and acquisition of smaller studios did lead to a decrease in quality in their products over time, and we need to give these companies more autonomy. I think the the initiative was there, but it clearly didn't come to fruition through through his time at the company. Also, in 2008, you guys might remember this, there was a whole economic crisis which fucked everybody up, definitely fucked my life up for a while there. It was caused by the Great Recession, and it led them to cut about 1,100 jobs. 11% of their workforce and the closure of 12 of their facilities. Later that year, they lay off another 1,500 employees across a bunch of studios. So again, imagine they've spent all this time bloating themselves up, buying up all these studios, buying up all these employees, and then just show them the fucking door the second things start to go awry. And so, the yeah, that led to the closure of Pan- Pantibic Studios. Another Riccatello quote from 2008, uh, when in an uh, interview with gamesindustry.biz, uh, where uh, there was this big thing where EA was trying to acquire Take-Two Interactive, the company behind Grand Theft Auto. Yes. And as we covered in our Grand Theft Auto episode, a lot of the Rockstar people, a lot of the Take-Two people were kind of very bombastic and braggadocious and kind of shat on EA. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. At one point during this interview, Riccatello just flat out says, I don't think the investors give a shit about our quality. They care about our earnings per share. They wait for that to happen. We had three years where we didn't make our expectations. If I were an investor, I would wait and see. That would be fine with me. So, like, he is not having a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. All, all through these, these years. Um, also, I think the only thing you breezed past in my notes uh, from before was, I, I think it was around 2006, they started getting into the mobile game market, uh, actually with a partnership with Nokia. So they were early adopters of this dang mobile game uh, money, gra- money grab. Oh, yeah. They bought Jamdat, right? Is that what you're getting into? I think so. They, well, they bought they acquired PopCap Games in 2011, which is why I wanted to tell them to go fuck themselves. They ruined my Plants vs. Zombies. That was a Plants vs. Zombies joint. Uh, also, they even fucked with Peggle. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Even Peggle got fucked and over. And Bejeweled as well as a PopCap game. And just they made these things lousy with microtransactions and purchasable upgrades and all that good stuff. They also launched the infamous Origin in 2011, their own service to sell downloadable games on PCs, which caused big issues with Steam because Steam disallowed games that used in-game purchases not tied to Steam's store, the i.e. Origin-sided DLC. And so they ended up removing a bunch of games from their store, having a big back and forth there. And then, no, just nobody wants another one of these like everybody's like we have steam we don't need another thing i did sign up for their monthly service there seemed to be a decent amount of games but here's the catch if you want to play the new madden and not just the 10-hour trial you have to get the 15 dollar a month 
uh, service. So there's layers to it. I got the $5 a month. I'll be canceling it as soon as possible. But I might enjoy some Need for Speed before I do. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it's it just seems unnecessary um, and a bit of a, a, a bit of a gouge. In 2013, John Riccatello steps down as CEO. He's replaced by Andrew Wilson. Later that year, they announced another reorganization. This one leading to a dismissal of 10 percent of their workforce so another what Mm -hmm. thousand employees get fucking shown the door uh, in 2013 also that year they got exclusive license to develop games in the star wars universe shortly after disney's closure of its internal lucasarts games dev group and that's going to go really well the license will last until 2023 i didn't know it had an endpoint at 2023 and they announced more of a focus on making smaller games like unravel to broaden their portfolio and also put a focus on esports which i don't think went super far it's so, that same initiative though that yeah did unravel uh that uh, what's that game where you, the the married couple gets turned into dolls that you enjoy oh uh, it takes two yeah that's, which was so fun yeah that's an ea joint for sure it, yeah, it's that, so that it's weird how those like games get good reviews but deep down you're like this is just a pr stunt you you would ruin this <laughs> you're just trying you to be like heartwarming to us and we know you're evil i mean they, they, you know, yeah, so uh, all the rest of my notes, and there's plenty left, is literally just why all the hate. And I think we've really covered the eating up and spitting out IPs. I, on it, let's get down. Okay, so Origin, done uh, in 2004. Westwood, done in 2003. Uh, Dice, in its own way, gets, like, kind of absorbed into the EA machine. Their Frostbite engine gets, like, turned into this... We'll get into that. We will talk about the Frostbite engine with uh, Mass Effect Andromeda and uh, Anthem. We'll get to those games. Bullfrog, done. Pandemic that did Star Wars Battlefront, done. So Visceral games. Visceral games that we covered in our Dead Space episode. This little, like, dev company that could, that, like, even within the corporate EA monster, because they were EA Redwood Studios, kind of, like, stood up and was like, no, we can make something original and compelling got fucked with and they added loot boxes to Dead Space 3 and changed the entire uh, gameplay loop and even tone of the games. Uh, Maxis also shut down because of Spore. Like just all these classic companies that were making these legendary games just getting managed and mishandled into oblivion. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. that, And that this is what leads to them getting the nickname Evil Empire within the industry. And that is... Not a good nickname <laughs> if you're a game dev company. Uh, another big issue they had to deal with since around 2004 is uh, employee grind culture. And they were one of, on the forefront. You know, Rockstar got a lot of criticism for it. Mm. EA, though, has for uh, the longest time been criticized for this type of uh, culture, work environment. In 2004, a fiance of an EA employee posted as EA spouse or posted an EA spouse blog, rather, as a, quote, disgruntled spouse, and went on to criticize the crunch culture in EA. They stated that, quote, the current mandatory hours are 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week, with the occasional Saturday evening off for good behavior, starting at 6.30 p.m. This led to two class action lawsuits against EA by employees. Uh, One was, like, designers-led, and another one was programmer-led. Uh, and uh, th- their whole, you know, they had to change their whole approach to overtime pay. But the shitty thing was, they made it okay. They were like, "All right, fuckers, you can have your overtime pay, but you don't get your stock options." Yeah, that's what they did. That's how they altered it. Like, it's, uh, you know, still just 
maintaining like the dickheadedness <laughs> of uh, uh, of the culture. Um, yeah, the sports licensing, I think we really already got into, but uh, they did have to later settle a bunch of lawsuits filed against them by former NCAA players who did not authorize their likenesses to be used in several football and basketball games. And I think instead of compensating these people, they just decide to completely uh, yeah, just, take all. Yeah. They just kind of bowed out of the whole uh, process. Um, and they even also did uh, have lawsuits filed against them in 2008, alleging um, they were breaking us antitrust laws by signing exclusive deals with the NFL and CAA and arena football league in order to use players, names, likenesses, logos. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been in the courts. It's definitely like, you know, it's definitely fucked up. Um, and then you got into the loot box stuff with um, yeah. with uh, that you you started into it. But here here's where we're at, uh, because I think if you guys don't remember, if you, if you listen to gaming news on, on other podcasts, stuff like that, you, you probably it's probably is kind of fresh in your head. It was around 2017. Games such as FIFA 18, Mass Effect Andromeda, and definitely especially Star Wars Battlefront 2 were all released featuring purchasable loot boxes. Man, I remember when Battlefront came out. Uh, several pay-to-win prizes in these loot boxes. The most egregious. So, wasn't Darth Vader either was he a loot box uh, uh, thing, or was he a, just a, you have to pay for one of the most fundamental characters to the franchise of this like big AAA fucking so Pandemic's uh, uh, Battlefront game. games for LucasArts were some of the most beloved Star Wars games of all time encompassing the Clone Wars era and the uh, original trilogy era they had full space combat you could play as all these classic characters uh it had split screen gameplay it was just one of the most addictive things ever and EA released a game called Battlefront that was just sorely lacking in so many different ways. It was missing features. It was missing characters. It was missing all this stuff. It kind of just felt like a very rushed uh, job. You know, it looked very pretty. It was on DICE's Frostbite engine. But there just wasn't enough there. Right. And I and it really brought me back to my experience with Plants vs. Zombies 2, which was a very unique EA experience, where I felt like outright disrespected by the publisher. Because games should get better. The games should get better after <laughs> yeah. more time. Well, it was like, here, idiot, here's your Luke Skywalker. Now give us all this money, even though there's like not even enough game here to justify it. It was just so insulting, I felt, to the player on every level. And I mean, the video of the, there was that one video of the streamer getting mm. fucking furious because they, uh, after a certain amount of playtime, they turned off experience mm -hmm. uh, for the day for him. I guess that was another way they gatekept it, unless you paid for shit an energy system which is one of the most insane things um but battlefront 2 ea's battlefront 2 was supposed to be the big redemption and initial reviews were pretty good it had stuff from the new trilogy the clone wars and the original trilogy era it had space combat it was seemed to be like a a real redemption and it was only a couple days later that people on reddit started doing the math because Characters like Darth Vader and Yoda cost ungodly amounts of in-game currency <laughs> to unlock to the point where people did the um, math and That's it could right. take anywhere from 40 to 80 hours to unlock Darth Vader in Battlefront 2. Yeah, which was so insulting. And even then, even if you paid money, there was no guarantee that you would get Darth Vader because of this card system where it is gambling. You're putting in money and you're getting maybe something out. Uh, and certain characters, you know, in this multiplayer game were overpowered and not balanced right. So 
The people that paid money early got to just dominate people. It was just a real clusterfuck. Uh, that led to, in response, someone from the EA community team on Reddit uh, giving the famous uh, comment, the intent was to provide players with a sense of pride and accomplishment for unlocking different heroes. As for the cost, we selected initial values based upon data from the open beta and other adjustments made to milestone rewards before launch. Among other things, we're looking at average player per credit earn rates on a daily basis and we'll be making constant adjustments to ensure that players have challenges that are compelling, rewarding, and of course, attainable via gameplay. We appreciate the candid feedback and the passion of the community has put forth around the current topics here on Reddit and our forums across numerous social media outlets. This is, of course, ends up being the most downvoted comment in Reddit history. Uh, Disney has to step in and warn EA to remove the loot boxes from the game before release in order to, for them to figure and, and in order for them to figure out a non pay to win way to implement them because at least Disney realizes that this is just straight up encouraging kids to gamble. I mean, uh, Belgium famously uh, made it illegal. Uh, there was, uh, especially at the peak of this news cycle, there was uh, state representatives in Hawaii holding press conferences. Uh, and, you know, the, the it feels like every couple of months there's another news report of some kid in Europe who grabs their parents' credit cards and blows through thousands of dollars in FIFA cards. And you know it's a big deal because this news hit the, like, national news mm -hmm. market. Like, it, it, it left gaming news. Mm -hmm. And went into the worldwide global, all of a sudden people are having discussions about these loot boxes. And EA was just so greedy about it that it just had to force the issue. Yes, Belgium and the Netherlands went after the more recent FIFA games and their ultimate team mode that you mentioned before. There were leaked internal documents from EA that talked about how they would, quote, drive excitement and funnel players towards FUT, which is ultimate team mode, uh, from other modes. Essentially, their whole business model with FIFA is try to get them to those purchasable card packs, which is again is just straight up fucking gambling. EA responded essentially absolving themselves of any responsibility, claiming they do not promote sp spending over earning in their games, and that most FIFA players do not spend real money in game. But again, especially after playing Plants vs. fucking Zombies 2 and seeing what I was seeing about Battlefront 2, it is obvious that they're just trying to get you to pay for shit, and that they're definitely promoting spending over earning. Uh, so yes, Belgium makes loot boxes illegal in 2018, and a Dutch judge allowed the Netherlands Gambling Authority to fine EA $5.85 million over FIFA's microtransactions. An anti-loot box bill was introduced to the Senate and in the U.S. in 2019, and the good news is that all of this led to very disappointing sales for Battlefront 2, leading the company, even after they made their changes, kind of like what happened with the Xbox One launch, uh, leading the company to miss their financial targets for that physical quarter, and that is literally the only way to hurt a company's feelings mm -hmm. and make them be more honest and better. They saw big money go bye-bye, and so now they're like, maybe we shouldn't be complete pricks about all of these fucking games that we're putting out, and just like, be, you know, just flagrantly being like, yeah, you're gonna just, you're an idiot, right? You're you're a video gamer. You, you're a fucking moron. You'll you'll spend a bunch of money on uh, the possibility of getting Darth Vader. So <laughs> you know? there's a lot of this is available in public documents. You know, stockholder financial documents, annual reports, and it really is. Uh, at a certain point, EA earned more money through DLCs and transactions and loot boxes and all these things than they did from even game sales itself. It was billions of dollars running through their hands. And 
They even broke it down being like, this is great. Uh, you know, it costs us like 40 cents on the dollar to sell a game. It only costs us 20 cents per dollar to sell a DLC. It's literally about taking the assets and taking the work that your developers are doing and overcharging them for what people were willing to pay for it. I just wanted to talk about, before we wrap up, a few of more of the games they completely mercilessly fucked uh, up. Let's do the Bioware 1 2. <laughs> let's do the Bioware 1 2 with Mass Effect Andromeda and Anthem. We can start there. I And man, SimCity, dude. I remember when that shit happened. We're going to talk about that in just a second because that was mind blowing how bad mm. they fucked that game up. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, the highly anticipated sequel to the Mass Effect franchise, ended up being a major disappointment. Uh, um, and kind of led to the death of the franchise for quite some time. A lot of the trouble came from Big EA insisting in, on their use of that Frostbite engine we mentioned before, which a dev at Bioware described as, quote, a sports car, not even a sports car, a Formula One. When it does something well, it does it extremely well. When it doesn't do something, it really doesn't do something. And there were just so many glitches in the game and just big issues out the gate. Uh, there was a grueling extended crunch period for the staff to get the game ready in time uh, of, of over a year. I mean, it just sounded like this brutal experience for them. And the game was lacking for sure when it came out. And, it, and, it, and largely attributed to EA's mismanagement of the teams and the forced use of the Frostbite. Which, engine. from a financial perspective, uh, Riccatello, oddly enough, ended up working for... Uh, um, Unity, the uh, the Unity engine company, and it's if you are releasing a commercial game and you decide to use something like Unreal, uh, a cut of the profits go directly to the engine designer. That's like how it works. But then the EA doesn't get all the money, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then that means that they pushed, uh, you know, Frostbite, which was made by Dice explicitly for the first person shooter game Battlefield. Uh, it means that stuff like inventory management, party AI, uh, dialogue trees, so many things that are important in a adventure game that just were not there and they just could not force it in and the scope of the game was reduced dramatically. Uh, Anthem, similarly uh, done by Bioware proper, uh, had a horrifying uh, development cycle. There's uh, uh, the Jason Schreier article that breaks down how much time was wasted in pre-production, how the use of frostbite uh, was a giant uh, hindrance to what they wanted to accomplish, um, and the insistence on continuing this games-as-service business model on a game that was wholly incomplete upon release, um, but also... Maxis, the SimCity and Sims 4. Let's talk about those guys too. Uh, yes, it was rebooted in 2013. Man, this launch was historically so fucked up. The main issue was that it was designed as an always online experience during a time when this was just fucking shit up all the time. Xbox One went through all the criticism for need needing to always be online. And uh, upon release, they just didn't have adequate servers to stand the amount of players attempting to get on the game. It really wasn't even a multiplayer experience. The online functionality was just to ping the servers to make sure you had a legit copy of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like neat. So the game could have run fine, but millions of people just could not play this game. For Because under EA's insistence... It needed to be this online all the time thing. Yeah, as a way to, I guess, ensure they're getting every last penny from the consumer. And it was such a shit show. You literally couldn't play the fucking game you bought. I mean, 
this was the first time we were starting to hear this, like games just out the gate being mm. so fucked up they were unplayable. Aliens, Colonial Marines is another example of that, where games are just getting pushed out the door, not at all ready by any means, but uh, EA just putting it out there and just, I guess, absorbing the uh, criticism and everything. And what's so funny is they're always out there being like, we don't get it. Why all the hate? You know what I mean? Uh, we're just trying to make games to the, for people who love games. And uh, they were also, what, they were voted the world's worst corporation two years in a row by, what the was it, Forbes or... The consumerists, and they kept being like, we're worse than the oil companies? We're worse than the, you know what I mean? And I just think it's because. Well, here's the thing. Not only is it the angry, okay, so not only is it the angry gamers, not only is it the jocks, they also pissed off the teenage girls with The Sims 4, which yeah, was they did. another yeah, yeah, disastrous they release that was uh, basically every Sims game had added more and more stuff. And then all of a sudden with The Sims 4, they introduced the stuff packs and all these expansions right out the gate. Not even like as a bonus to people that have ex gone through all the game's content. You would open the menu for the first time in The Sims 4 and there would just be entire 50% of the available features just blocked off behind a paywall. <laughs> um, and it was glitchy. It was lacking features from previous games. And they have added so much DLC to The Sims 4 at this point that to pay for the complete experience in 2021, you would have to shell out 750 US dollars. First, for like stuff like swimming pools and like vampires and stuff that was in the Sims 2 and 3 just as part of the game you bought. Yeah, crazy. So now the girls are mad. Now everybody's mad and that's how you get the worst company. The skateboarders too, skate four. Damn you, or three? They just Whatever. announced it. They or they just announced it. Um, yeah, it's a really odd situation. I feel like they've saved a little bit of face. You know, like I said, Star Wars: The Fallen Order was a good game. They used Unreal for that one. They actually uh, let them not use. <laughs> they let them frostbite, and maybe that'll change some things moving forward. I mean, they know they're fucking hated, and their building hilariously looks like an evil empire, like building that uh, some totalitarian government would have their like house of communication in but uh yeah it's 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 just a wild ride it has been and hopefully you know with the backlash things have changed a little bit i think they know they've they, they've had to put their tail between their legs a little bit uh, in recent years but obviously not that much has changed they're having luck with respawn entertainment uh the kind of call of duty uh expatriates who ended up creating the titanfall franchise they released Apex Legends, which uses their proprietary engine, not, or it's based off the source engine, whatever, don't yell at me. Um, but yeah, they are, it feels like they're turning the ship around, but it feels like not because they wanted to. It re, like, yeah. that loot box chasing the whales thing was a huge money bank for them for so long. Um, and you know, it it's, can be harmful. I, I uh, um, on the Jimquisition channel in um, on uh, YouTube, they really break down how, you know, it's not just like rich weirdos who just are willing to spend $1,000 on their FIFA machine. It's people with gambling addictions. It's people with uh, compulsion disorders that end up the most hurt by these practices. And it just, it just feels, it feels bad. We, if you're, you know, we know what we've lost. In these intervening years, we know how they're taking stuff away from us. And really, if you talk to Andrew Wilson, his bet is just, yeah, 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 we'll piss off the 200 million people that remember when we made complete games. 
But now the games market is 2 billion people and we get to set the terms on what that means for them. Yeah. You know, he said it a lot more smilingly. God, I get so many douche chills whenever I listen to him talk. It's just, (laughs) you know what, April, I'm going to find a clip of him being douchey. Play a clip of him just spouting corporate nonsense. You know, the gaming industry grows um, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. Um, The best way I can capture it now is that, you know, there are more people from more places playing more games on more platforms than ever before. When I started in this business 15, 16 years ago, there was about 200 million gamers. Um, Today, by anyone's calculation, it's probably about 2 billion and growing, and even that might be conservative. Uh, When I started in the business, you know, we were all trying to, you know, we we held on to the fact that we were the fastest growing, you know, media industry, but we were still dwarfed by music and music and and movies and TV. Um, Today, by any calculation, I'm pretty sure we're the biggest media industry, Um, certainly by dollars spent, but more importantly, by time spent. Um, What we do is we build interactive entertainment where engagement is the most valuable thing that we offer consumers. And, you know, and entertaining them moment to moment throughout their day across devices has really been the evolution of the business. And now more and more people have grown up uh, and recognize that what we do is the best form of entertainment. So we're pretty happy about it. Well, you know, usually I love to gush and, and give love to these different fandoms and things like that. But every now and again, it is fun to do an episode like this, Jake. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future 2 is a great film. Mm-hmm. It is a it is, should have won some Oscars even potentially. I don't know what happened there. And a Tony, fuck it. Let's give it, you know, an EGOT to that film. Uh, no, normally I, I love to, to to just love on something and explain why it's so beloved. But every now and again, Jake, it is very mm. fun to talk about why something is so loathed. And EA, man, it wears its loathsomeness on its sleeve. And I think that is why it was voted worst company two years in a row because it's just so like blatant about it, and yet they just ha- they always turn around with that corporate jargon uh, and act like nothing's happening. It's just hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, anyways, that's our episode on EA, baby. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we had a blast for this one. Uh, I just want to go ahead and promote a couple things. Patreon.com forward slash Wizbrew. Patreon.com forward slash Wizbrew. Every single week, bonus episodes for you to listen to. Wizard and the Newser is our new segment we've been doing like every other week where we talk about what's going on in the news as relates to Wizard and the Bruiser content. Imagine listening to us complain about EA in real time. In real time. Uh, also, check my Twitch out, y'all. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Uh, I love it. Monday, Tuesday, Friday. I'm back full on from paternity leave, so please join us for that. We've been having so much fun. Puppet Jared even stops by every now and again. Who's that? Oh, well, uh, listen, a couple a couple months back, we did an episode on VTubers, the uh, virtual animated avatars that are transforming the streaming world. And I got the bug in me. I got an avatar made up, and he's a lovely little purple man. Uh, weekday afternoons, you can find me at youtube.com slash puppetjared. Uh, we watch old cartoons. We do tier lists. Uh, people just talk to me in chat, and I react to them. Um, I'm not selling it at all, but it's genuinely a fun time. You know what? Just go to youtube.com slash puppet Jared. See what's down there. You know, check out some clips, watch some streams. And if you hang out, hang out and say hi. Please, It's always a blast. It's always a blast to have you on my stream as well. Uh, All right. Thank you so much, everybody. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. It's in the game. It's in the game. It's in the game. It's in the game.
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.